1: Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter and I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Butler. Thanks for talking with us today. Glad to do it. So, I have read uh, some of your writing uh, in the upcoming issue of Spectrum's printed journal, and it's about a discovery you made of a Malcolm Bull article from 1988, it's in the French journal, uh, Archive Sciences uh, Sociales des Religion. Uh, and the <laughs> title of the, <laughs> butchering the French there, the title is uh, Eschatology and Manners in Seventh-day Adventism. How did you find this article from 1988?
0: Well, I uh, I'd been to a conference, well, not been to it. I had zoomed a conference in Friedensau and got to know Rolf Polar. I I knew him uh, from a distance, but he's a he's a historical theologian, and he's just written this book called Dynamic Truth. And so I was reading; it's a very good book, by the way, uh, talking about the changes in Adventist doctrine over the years. And um, and I was reading along. I was about halfway through the book, and Every page is about half footnotes and half text. And I look down and I see in one of the notes the Malcolm Bull article on uh, on eschatology and manners. The title itself, uh, juxtaposing eschatology and manners really caught my attention. The French journal did as well and and the year, because 1988 was the year before, he published uh, Seeking a Sanctuary, the first edition of it. it. Another edition came out in 2007. And I said, my God, I, I've got to uh, read this. And so I forged around and it was not easy to find. And I got some help and uh, finally got, a, got it on the screen, you know, and I could print it. And it, I was, uh, it was even more impressive to read it than I had expected. I mean, I was just uh, really taken by it. It was like a, a bolt of lightning. I mean, just uh, an amazing piece of work. Um, I talked to him after that a bit. I mean, he's, I consider him a friend, but we we have not had a, a lot of contact over the years. We, we did more when, when his book, when he was working on his book, but anyway, I had exchanges with him over this article, and he said that he was he was a graduate student for Brian Wilson, Wilson at Oxford, and he was just fumbling around working on Ellen White and the Seventh Day Adventist, and he came up with this with this article, which he he was sort of self deprecating about, and he said, "Well, it's it's got some rough edges, and uh, you know, I could have done better, and all that." I said, "My God, this <laughs> this is a." This is a Damascus Road moment here. Uh, and so um, anyway, um, I, I was glad I found it. And I'm glad, I'm very pleased that Spectrum is is republishing it. So I am really
1: glad about that as well. It's fun to read Malcolm Bull thinking about uh, Adventism. And you can see um, the early foundation for his later work, uh, thinking about culture, but also the themes uh, that Adventism explores as well, issues of eschatology um, and the millennium and heaven, and of course, Ellen White. He really focuses on um, this idea of the court of uh, in Ellen White's imagination and this idea of manners. And anyone who um, has gone to uh, a strict Adventist uh, school or experienced a a mother or father uh, who has read Ellen White understands the importance of manners. He really helps us understand it in a kind of um, inchoate way in early Adventist thinking and the way that it really shaped the, the kind of presentation, uh, the, the, the social presentation of the denomination. Uh, what caught your attention?
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about Ellen White as a Victorian woman, mm-hmm. and it's very obvious that when she's looking through the window into heaven, uh, by way of her first vision, that she's seeing, in effect, a Victorian world. I mean, you're sitting there, well-mannered, you, you know just where to put your fork and where to put your spoon and knife, and you've got angels near you who enjoy your company. You're, you're just very respectable and neat and, and orderly, and um, I mean, it, it's not unusual for someone's own culture to affect how they see, not only this life, but the afterlife. And so to me, that was uh, really remarkable. I mean, I, I've read the first vision. I mean, I, I feel like I can recite it, but I can't, but you know, I've read it many times and I've read Adventist home through and know it quite well. My mother made sure of that. And yet through, through bullseyes, it was like I was seeing it for the first time. I mean, he was pointing out things to me in the first vision in an Adventist home that I was, I was surprised that they were even there. And it was that cultural thing you're talking about that you were looking at it through this prism of, of Ellen White's culture that she wanted us to be, I mean, let me put it, put it bluntly, and I'm not putting it the same way as, as Malcolm Bull does, but she wanted us to be Victorian in this world and Victorian in the next world. You yeah. Know? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that beat up on Ellen White, but she was a Victorian woman. She was like our great, great grandmother. Obviously she came from a different time Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you could just sense, sitting at a dinner table with her, that she would be a little different than your sibling, right? Or your, uh, even your spouse or something. I mean, you know, this was a woman from a different time, but wanted us sort of to have our P's and Q's in order. And it wasn't just
1: so that we were sort of respectable citizens here on Earth, Um but it was because we had a space to fill in heaven. We were replacing angels, (laughs) angels that had rebelled. Talk a little bit about that that really interesting idea that um, we were were sort of honing our skills to serve and rule in heaven uh, in the seats, in the spaces
0: Um, unoccupied by the rebels, the unruly? Yeah. Well, I, I think Ellen White lays a lot on you in a sense. I mean, you, you have to measure up. And there's a sort of grandiosity about it. Like you are special. When you come in her uh, shadow, you are meant for great things. You are meant for great things in this world. And you are meant for great things in the next world. Right, and so you can feel quite good about yourself in that way. You're a special people. On the other hand, you can also feel guilt and inadequacy and anxiety. You know, can I measure up? And so there's there's that two edge to her. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it is a. Um, it's amazing. I mean, that um, it's amazing what she sort of pulls out of people what uh, the demand she makes on people and um, and seventh day adventists are a <laughs> quite productive people they're <laughs> quite a comp- they do great things they become professional people there's a lot of social mobility in seventh day adventism you know you start out my dad was a postman he ended school in the 8th grade my mother ended school really after high school, everybody in the family, you know, you were PhDs or DDSs or, you know, they're professional people. And for my mother, that was the religion. I mean, piety mattered to her, but you better stay in school, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And uh, I think Ellen White is the engine behind that, that you need to, it's a religion of aspiration and accomplishment. Um, and you see it right there in the first vision. It's, it's just, it's just all there. You, you're going to whip yourself into shape and somebody, <laughs> you know, um,
1: could you talk um, some about the, the, the context that she's sort of responding to in the, the, sort of 1850s you know post you know let's say post-disappointment processing of shut door shouting in meetings what's you know because there were Adventists who were uh, let's say not they were not as um, focused on manners and civil uh, being civil in society and, and she is really, I think, Bull makes the argument, she's kind of transforming this group of Advent believers into uh, a denomination, an organized group before they actually officially organized. What's, yeah. what's that context that makes her, uh, you know,
0: what's she responding to? Well, I think she is, as, as a young visionary and an ecstatic a transfigure, she was the product of a fairly wild and enthusiastic moment. And it lasted for close to a year in early Adventism, kind of in uh, late 44 through 45. But she, she saw in a lot of that that people kind of lost control. There was a fanatical element to it. Uh, I mean, there were people showing up naked in meetings because we were in heaven now and there's no clothing is unnecessary. You know, we can look like Adam and Eve. Well, it's been a long time since I sat next to a naked person. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she and people were crawling around on all fours uh, because they were had become as children. So while she was a product of that and she was accepted and embraced, because of that whole uh, ecstasy, she wanted to transform that uh, group into something else. And and I think this first vision, the way she writes it, it's again a sort of a paradox because she's writing it as an ecstatic. She had just gone into vision and then writes, it, writes about it later, not some time later. It's a year before you, you actually see it in print. But it becomes a polemic against those kind of people. She's saying heaven is not going to look like things looked in the seventh month movement of Millerism. Heaven's going to look a lot more uh, sedate. And so I think she's, she's delivering a message. Now, one thing it does then, and I think bull sees this is that it says, I'm your visionary, but not every third woman in the congregation is gonna be your visionary. We're not gonna have a bunch of people shouting and yelling. I'm your gal, but not a lot of other uh, people. And, you know, so I think it was a way of, like you're, you're asking in your question, really, it was a way of imposing order and regularity on the movement out of which you can build something that is durable, you can, you can organize. You can have a budget. You can pay ministers. You can't do that if people are rolling around on the ground, you know.
1: Yeah. I don't remember if it's you making this point, Malcolm Bull, or some of the other respondents, but uh, she's kind of climbing up into this seat of power and then pulling up the ladder behind her yeah. and yes, and clothing that off which yeah. is um which is a, a an interesting tactical move but it also um changes the the nature of the denomination uh the emerging denomination let's say and um you start to see her um imposing these sort of um expectations on people in her uh, writings calling people out mm-hmm. for not exhibiting sort of heavenly mannerisms, mm-hmm. and the the bull makes an argument, and I'm curious to to hear from you if you buy this argument that this actually calls into question, or it, it maybe explores our our understanding of millennialism. Because as this, you know, as we are creating a sort of heavenly society here on earth as Adventists, we're maybe bringing the kingdom of God into existence among us. And of course, there is a second coming. Of course, there's a millennium of ruling. But this, to him, feels a little pre-millennial and not explicitly uh, post-millennial um, he kind of pulls his punch here, leaves it open, I think. I'm curious what you think.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the most uh, provocative things about the article. I mean, I, I love the manners part. That's very interesting to me. But uh, for him to challenge the, the dichotomy between pre- and post-millennialism, I mean, in post-millennialism, and these are not terms we we throw around in church these days so much but i mean postmillennialism premore were big deals in those days and yeah. and postmillennialism meant that god came post the millennium after the millennium, and it there was a sort of gradualism to it or a developmentalism to it so you you got better and better it was a very positive and optimistic view of the world and the church and you got so good that the Lord came, right? And what we think of as like mainline denominations, exactly. Tend to work exactly. Uh, premillennialism, on the other hand, you the world was a miserable place, and there was a an abrupt sort of revolutionary, very disruptive transition between the millennium and the second coming. Things got so bad that Jesus came, sort of. But there is this group this remnant this chosen people who are doing very well and so those people for those people it's almost like they're post-millennial in in bull's view that is they're they're ready for heaven and they're ready for that transition now the world at large is pre-millennial you know they they're not ready but the church is ready and so um, he's, he's saying, look, we need to tweak this divide. It's not quite the same. And one thing that I got, he didn't bring this up, and I don't think it's probably on his, his purview right now. I mean, he's not that, but, but it reminded me a lot of, of the uh, last generation theology mm-hmm. people, you know, who, who say we're going to get more and more perfect and and we're we're ready for heaven. We're going to achieve perfection on earth and the Lord is going to gather us in. Well, that's in a way he makes an argument on their behalf. I mean, he's not he's not necessarily intending to, but he, he's just I think I think your lost generation people. I don't know how many of them read Spectrum, <laughs> but <laughs> they, they uh, I think they could really resonate with this argument. Well, you
1: know, we uh, invite a commentary from anyone <laughs> sure, who, sure. <laughs> who takes the time to read a, let's see, how many pages? Yeah, about a 20-page, 50-plus <laughs> yeah. uh, footnote article.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, I think Bull, actually, this is a side point to make, but in his Seeking a Sanctuary, There's a lot about that book that conservative Adventists should like if they sit down and read it. It isn't just uh, a progressive sort of a liberal take on Adventism. It's showing Adventism uh, as as a conservative movement. And um, I think because it's Packaged in uh, in history and in sociology and all this sophistication and this uh, beautifully argued work that it is, I think there's a lot of people that would miss that uh, on the on the right on the right wing of the church. They would not realize that the book is meant for them too, and maybe especially for them. It's uh, a masterpiece. I think it's essential reading for
1: yeah. all Adventists. Yeah. um,
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I uh, have enjoyed uh, teaching it in a course for the honors program at at Pacific Union College and seeing, you know, year after year students finding a new self awareness by the really brilliant cultural analysis that Malcolm Bull and Keith Lockhart
0: make in in that tome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you're using the book. I mean, I think. Uh, I, I think it has to be kind of in an honors level. I mean, uh, I think the typical general student might might be heavy slogging for them. But uh, you're right. I mean, I think more more people should read it. And I think Bull kind of. I mean, when I last talked to him, I, he, he kind of feels like nobody paid much attention to the book. I I told him he's wrong about that. I mean. that. Wow. People are paying attention to it. It has that. It's a slow burn. It's not, you know. Numbers, prophets have helped. Was a hot book that came out, and everybody got upset, and there was all these back and forth, and uh, and probably the probably no other book will create that kind of sensation that that prophets felt it, but it was an explosion. But the seeking a sanctuary is that slow burn that durable kind of thing that could, I think, in the long run, uh, you know, have huge impact. You know, I'm glad you brought up prophetess of health, because I want to ask you a sort of broad
1: question here as we wrap up on on what you're reading now, and um, maybe a sort of reflective question on the importance of understanding history to understand ourselves and, and Adventism in general. But let me preface that by sharing an anecdote about prophetess of health. I was in the middle of college, went down to uh, on a break with a buddy and we were clearing out uh, elderly relatives home. He had been your classic Adventist, a doctor scholar. So his bookshelves were full of, of reading material that appealed to me as an undergraduate religion and English literature student. Uh, my reward for helping move his stuff out was my friend said I could take a few books that I wanted. So I took Prophetess of Health, mm. cracked it open after everyone went to bed, read the whole thing that <laughs> night. So the way you describe it as sort of a fire, You know, this was um, 20 (laughs) years ago, but I loved that experience and I can only imagine what it was like in the late 70s, early 80s to have that come out and have, um, you know, the opportunity for Adventists to really think in a critical way about their faith. Obviously, I know it was a painful experience for many, but uh, as a a youngster in the next generation, it was um, a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah. Tell me about uh, where your head's at these days as you think about history and Adventism.
0: Well, I'm <laughs> I'm working on my own uh, biography uh, uh, on Ellen White. I great. I, I say this cautiously because uh, even my wife doesn't believe it's ever going to come out. But um, and I'm and I'm very close. To Ron Numbers, he's a good good friend of mine. In fact, I've got, my wife is sitting on the phone right now because I got a call into him, and I'm waiting for him to call me. I'm gonna I'm going back to Chicago and, and should see him. Great. Um, but my approach to to Ellen White uh, is is different than Ron's. Um, I, I am a big fan of what he does, and he's a fan of what I do. But we do have kind of different voices. We just approach things, and I'm probably more um, one, one way I describe it, and I've described it this way elsewhere. Is I kind of work from the outside in. I'm very interested in the culture around, and then how Ellen White reflects that culture. And Bull reading Bull was m- more fodder for my argument right there. You know that that you can see the outside. Coming in, um, Ron is is a, a very diligent, careful uh, researcher, and he works from the inside out. He knows the outside. He's he's uh, he has command of all that literature, but he gets into the documents and works out. He wrote that book. He was teaching at Loma Linda, and they told him, "Well, you need to lecture on Seventh Day Adventist history for these medical students." Oh, okay so he goes down to the library and to the archives and he walks in and he sees this this fencing with a lock on it and there's books behind there and he said what's that about and they say oh, well that's that's uh some of our original writing and books that we don't you know you can't just go in there and read that stuff well he said i i want to do that well okay you know he's a faculty member so, they, so, he's he's in there reading John Harvey Kellogg, who is reading Ellen White and making notes in the margins of Ellen White's books and saying, well, she got that from here and she got that from there. Well, if I were doing a lecture, if I were asked to do a lecture to Loma Linda medical students, I wouldn't be going behind a fence looking at original material. like. But that's his nature. Sure. And prophetess of health resulted from that kind of person um so uh we'll see what i end up with i'm i'm particularly interested in ellen white as a victorian and as a woman those mm-hmm. and how she navigated the world um so it's culture and it's gender um so that's kind of my my focus and so i do a lot of reading on 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 those things. But, um, but there's plenty more to do on Ellen White. I mean, we're every generation has its own take and has to revisit her in different ways. And I think Ron in the seventies, he was a key part of that time. You had to sort of undo what people had said about her and thought we had this unrealistic sense of who she was. And so we had to go through, a, like you say, it was a painful time uh, but a huge upheaval, uh, paradigm shift, kind of. Now I think things have settled down, but there's still a lot of good stuff being done about her uh, in the Pioneer series. We're here reading about Adventist history in ways that we didn't read about it back in the '50s, for sure. You know, so uh, Gil Valentine is a who's in. You know, one of the respondents to Bull. Yeah. You know his his biography of Jane and Andrews. You learn about an Ellen White in there that probably uh, is is a human being in a way you you may not have known, and so that that's important stuff. But uh, we'll see what uh, what comes of all this. But I think that there's still a lot of interest in Ellen White, and there's a lot of interest in her outside the church. Yeah, historians that are starting to get interested in her and that's all going to bode well I think for understanding her
1: well I look forward to uh, reading um, your forthcoming book on her I think talking about uh, Victorian culture and gender is uh, I think actually very contemporary and I I think it'll be a really helpful contribution to our uh, ongoing relationship with her
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I ho- I don't think it'll keep you up all night, but it might keep you up till midnight and then you'll finish it the next day, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: when I do that, I'd like to have you come back on and have a conversation about uh, the book or anything else that you're uh, discovering in your research. Absolutely. Thank well, you. thanks so much, Dr. Butler, for talking with me today. And I am um, looking forward to hearing from folks who read this uh, article as well. All right. Well, thanks so much. All right. Thank you so much. Bye bye.
0: Yes, I knew, Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it.